My heart is genuinely joyful today as I remember that on this day, my Savior, Jesus, rose from the grave. Uh, I don't know if I told you, my name is Gavin, I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to sincerely thank you for being here. We realize there's always going to be lots of new folks with us in the room, and uh, uh, that's good. We're glad you're here. And I just want to emphatically say, uh, today is Easter and it ain't about the bunny, Amen? amen? We got something much better to celebrate today. See, most historians would agree that it was on April 5th, AD 33, exactly 1,982 years ago today that a murdered Jewish carpenter from Galilee, after predicting his own death and resurrection, then canceled his own funeral, kicked the door out of a borrowed tomb, and defeated Satan, sin, and death once and for all. His name happens to be Jesus. You know, a lot of historical events have changed the course of human history from the development of ancient civilizations to many predominant and influential world leaders. There's been two world wars, the advent of the modern era, from inventions like electricity to uh, modern medicine, the internet, and the iPhone. Many events and uh, and advancements and people have shaped the contours of human history in the way that we know it, but none, none have left its mark on human history like this man that we're going to talk about today called Jesus of Nazareth. What's fascinating about this guy, he was a rural blue-collar first century peasant Galilean born to unwed teenage parents in relative obscurity in a small town in Roman-ruled Palestine. He was Never formally educated, he never uh, married, never had kids, he never wrote a book, he never ran a business, he never led a conference, he never opened a Twitter account. He didn't invent anything, he didn't discover nothing, he didn't explore anything, he didn't lead a city or a nation or an army, but this man, Jesus Christ, sparked a movement in AD 33. This started with 11 cowardly men and a handful of zealous, excited women, and then slowly grew to a few hundred, a few thousand, a few million. And within just a few years, this movement of this man had gone throughout the entire known world called the Roman Empire. And the interesting thing about it is this movement has yet to die or diminish, but in fact is spread to every continent on the planet of Earth. Today, some 2.2 billion people, men, women, people from... uh, Uh, cities from rural contexts, from villages, people with black skin and brown skin and, and I don't know, peachy pink skin and every hue of color of skin and every language, thousands of languages and dialects across this planet still worship this man Jesus and this movement is still alive and growing and developing today. Jesus is the most influential man in all of human history. Our modern dating system is centered around this man. Um, whole cities and schools and hospitals and thousands of institutions bear his name. And, and, and people love Jesus and they hate Jesus, but just about everyone on this planet has to contend with Jesus because the movement that he sparked continues to build stream and shape the world even today in 2015. You can't deny that he has changed the story of human history and I can't deny that he changed my life. I met the resurrected Jesus when I was 16, a junior in high school. I read this book for the very first time. I grew up a moderately religious, morally, generally obedient kid, but I was spiritually bankrupt until I read the pages of this book. And I read the the story of the life, death, burial, resurrection of this man named Jesus Christ. And and I want to tell you, I don't want to glamorize it. I want to be 
genuine with you, but I don't know how else to say it, but something changed. It was like a switch was flipped in my heart. I didn't walk down an aisle. I didn't wave a flag. I just, I read this book and suddenly I was convicted over my own sin. All of a sudden, Jesus, this religious figure that I had heard about, became so real to me as I realized that on the cross, he was dying for my sins. And on Easter morning, he rose again for me. And in that moment, something changed in me. I I found forgiveness for my guilt. I found a purpose and direction for my life. I found a joy that transcends all of my human circumstances. I found a relationship with not a dead religious dude, but a living and loving God who speaks to me and walks with me. And you might think I'm crazy, but it's still changing me and transforming me even to this day. And the catalyst, the spark, the first domino in this cataclysmic worldwide movement and in my own story of transformation, uh, my own little story, the very first thing that set it all off was what we celebrate this day, the bodily resurrection of this Galilean dude named Jesus. It's this day that we remember that Jesus is alive. He died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. At a real point in human history, at a very real geographic location, 6,400 miles from Omaha, Nebraska, a real man named Jesus of Nazareth literally canceled his own funeral. He undid his own death. No one else has done this. He got up from the grave, and right now he is alive, and he is ruling and reigning and saving and leading and restoring and building his church and rewriting stories and changing lives and dwelling with his people and preparing a place for his children. And I believe that he is in this room today, and and he's still in the business of rewriting some stories. He's still in the business of taking dead things and bringing them to life. And I I believe, you might think I'm crazy, but maybe he wants to bring you from death to life this morning. Maybe he wants to bring some dead things in your heart to life this morning. But I believe that he is here with us today. And today we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture, the very last chapter of the book of Luke that we have been studying as a church, Luke chapter 24. And uh, we've been doing this for a while. Raise your hands if you haven't been to church since last Easter. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't. You're what? Just look forward. The person next to you assumes you were here last week. Okay, no pressure. I'm authentically glad you're here. I'm just giving you a hard time, but let me catch you up. We've been uh, studying this book of Luke, and um, I'm sincerely glad you came today, because today I think is the most important text of the whole thing, because if what we read about today isn't true, everything else we've studied doesn't matter. Because today we're going to look at the climax, the climax, the, the, the point in which Jesus validated all the claims that he said to be true. And so I want to invite you to look at the story. And, and, and I also am just greatly aware that this is a very familiar story. And that's always a dangerous thing. Sometimes familiarity can just kind of breed contempt and this feeling of trite routine that we do. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, whether, whether you're a Christian, non-Christian, church tender, non-church tender, all those other things... Um, You've probably heard this story, but my invitation to you this morning is that as we read through this story, as we look at the elements of the story, I want to invite you not only to hear this story, not only to recall this story, not only to look in on this story, but I want to invite you to experience this story this morning. I think that in the elements of this story, some folks in this room are going to find their own story overlaid in this text. And I think you're going to see Jesus kind of progress you through your own story this morning. So I want to invite you to experience the story. And uh, as we read through these verses, I want to stop and point out three main elements of the story that you might identify with. Number one is an idle tale. Number two is an empty tomb. And number three is a changed mind. 
So number one, an idle tale. I want to invite you to look at the text with me. Let's hit the first 11 verses and then I'll stop. The resurrection, Luke 24, starting at verse 1, it says, But on the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, at early dawn, that phrase literally means between 3 and 6 a.m., I call that nighttime. Don't you dare wake me up at early dawn, amen, brother, hallelujah, or it's not going to go well for you unless you got some caffeine. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. An idle tale, and they did not believe them. I'm going to stop right there. An and, and idle tale, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? You know, let me start by saying I, I think that sometimes the best things in life are the hardest things to believe. Isn't that true? Yeah. I remember when I was 21, I was leading this Bible study, and this girl showed up to the Bible study named Sarah, and uh, she was really cute. And, uh, it was, I was in a tricky situation because I was really attracted to this young girl, but she was in my Bible study. And so I thought, well, just ignore it. It's just going to go away. Like, um, but then I got really interested in this girl. And I was in a really odd situation because I wanted to pursue her, but I'm like the Bible study leader and she's in the Bible study and I don't want to be that guy. You know that guy? If you're that guy, don't be that guy, okay? There's some websites like Christian Mingle or other stuff, like don't, it's not citylight.org, like don't be that guy. And I didn't, didn't want to fish the pond, you know, I'm leading it, and I just was in this pickle because I was liking her more and more and more. And then one day, I'll never forget, it was in the fall on a Tuesday, I'm driving by Caffeine Dreams at like 46 and Farnham right over here, and I had this thought, what if she's in there studying? And the thing about it is she doesn't drink coffee, but I still had this thought, like I was in that, you call it Twitter-pated? My wife calls it Twitter-pated. That's all you think about. And it was completely irrational. But I thought, well, what if she's in there drinking coffee, which she doesn't drink coffee, but maybe she is. And so maybe I'll just stop. And you've been there. Don't judge me. It's completely irrational. I stupid, I know. Uh, And so I go in and guess what? She's in there. And so I'm thinking, okay, Lord, this is so out of my league, but this is so dumb if I don't at least go talk to her. And I go over... And I'm talking to her and just making small talk and trying to win her over. And she's beautiful and smart and funny and godly. And I'm immature and broke and moderate college acne and insecure. And I just, I'm a new Christian trying to figure some stuff out. And I thought, she's not going to say yes, but I just got to ask. I just got to put it to to, to bed. Uh, Sarah, would you go out with me? And she said, well, yes, I would go out with you. And I thought, what? Well, (laughs) That's where you're supposed to say, cute, yeah, no, we can't do that. She said, no, I'll go out with you. And I thought, I don't know what happened or how I duped you, but I'm just going to leave now and not say anything else so I don't screw up 
this moment, and, and I knew it was real. I heard her with my ears say yes, but sometimes the best things are the hardest things to believe. And I believe these disciples, they thought it was good news, right? They're hearing this, like this is what they wanted to hear. Jesus is alive, but, but sometimes the best things are the hardest things to believe. And, and they hear this, and it says it seemed to them an idle tale, like a fairy tale, like idle having no power, a tale being a fictitious story that had been made up. And I, I, I just want to say that I get it, right? Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Just think about what they're hearing and what's going on. So they've just had this emotional roller coaster. They're likely hitting uh, or hiding, huddled up in a room together. And um, just days earlier, they had seen their Lord, um, their leader, crucified on a cross. And so in this moment, number one, they're mourning. Their best friend, Jesus, is dead. Number two, they're scared out of their mind right? Because are the Romans coming for them next? Will they be hung up on a cross? Number three, they're just trying to put the pieces of their lives back together. And if you ever been like fired from a job or sudden life change, completely unexpected, and you just don't even know what to do, right? You're like, it takes you like two weeks to just figure out even how to put your left foot forward. You're disoriented. So imagine that times a hundred. That's what these guys are doing. Their whole world is spinning right now and they're sad and they're scared and they're disoriented and they don't know what to do. And it's sometime between three and 6 a.m. And so they're maybe sleeping or just getting up slow. And here comes the ladies. Ah, he's risen from the grave. He's alive. We just saw two angels and Jesus is alive. Really, the angels told us. I'm greatly annoyed if I'm the disciples in this moment, right? Like, number one, that's obnoxious. Number two, that's exceedingly insensitive. And number three, it's just early. Go away, right? What, a resurre- what are you smoking? Uh, you're tripping. What's, what? He's dead. We saw him dead. This is a sad day, right? No, 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 no. We were just there, and he's alive. We saw it, and there were these angels, and they had on uh, men's warehouse blue suits, and they looked really fresh and dazzling clothes, and they told us, why do you look for living among the dead? And he told us to remember everything that Jesus said while he's still in Galilee. We remembered it. Remember, he said he was going to rise, and we're going to rise with him, and we get to go to heaven, and Jesus is alive. And the disciples are like, shut up. This is horrible. This is the worst day of my life. This is, a, this is an idle tale. I mean, it sounds good, ladies. I would love for it to be true, but it said that it seemed to them to be an idle tale. They didn't believe it. Verse 11, they didn't believe it. I want to pause there because I think maybe that's where you find yourself in the story. Point one, idle tale, right? To you, it just seems like a fairy tale. Some of you are here because someone blew you up on Facebook and just did not leave you alone until they got your body in their church. And I want to say welcome. Thanks for being here. Some of you are my friends that I've pestered for weeks to be here. Uh, some of you are here out of religious obligation. You, it's what you do on Easter and Christmas. You, we call you Christers. And you come and eat our donuts and it's all right. Um, but you're here because it's a, it's, a, it's a tradition. You go to church on Easter, right? And, and maybe you're pro G, like this is fine. Like the tall dude that's rapping, that's fun. And this is a good energy. And I like Easter and I like to be here and it sounds good. But, but honestly, you don't believe that he's out of the tomb. You believe he's still there. I get it. I have a lot of friends that that um, I'm good buddies with, that have just told me, Gavin, I respect your faith. I'm so glad you have that for you. Like, I respect your ministry. I think it's great for the city. I think the church is great. All that is great. I am pro-Jesus. I mean, if my kids want to grow up as Christians, I'm for that. I'll take them to Sunday. I hope they can believe it. Heaven, Jesus, sin, forgiveness, all of that. I like it in an ideal sense, but I can't with integrity in my heart tell you I believe it because to me, it just honestly seems like a fairy tale. So I could fake it, but I'm just telling you, 
it seems like an idle tale. Maybe that's you. And let me just say, hey, I get it. Uh, you aren't the first one, okay? A lot of people thought this was an idle tale. But I also want to just push back and say, what if it isn't? What if he's not in the tomb? What if the 2.2 billion people that claim to have met this man, maybe there's something to it? And I just want to say, what if? Uh, what if this whole thing is real? What if the, the ink on these pages in this book actually puts together some truth that is actually real and actually could change and transform not only your life on this earth, but your eternity? I'm just saying, what if? What if? We're going to come back to that in a minute, but I also want to identify a second group of people in the room. Um, maybe even more so than the first, this would be the majority of us. And that is, maybe you don't identify with the word tail in verse 11. Um, Like you believe it's true. Like you prayed the prayer and you received Jesus and you're a Christian and hallelujah and all that stuff. Um, But maybe the word you identify with is the word idle. Or like it's just not in gear. Like your faith is like a car sitting on the side of the road that's not in park and the engine's running, but it's just idling and it's not going anywhere and it's not taking you anywhere. And while you believe in Jesus, you're asking the question, what does this have to do with my story and my situation and my circumstances and my depression? It's doing nothing for me right now. And let me just say, I get that too, because I've been there more than once in my life. There's been seasons in my life when my faith was idle, where, you know, when I was a new Christian, it was, I love God and I'm going to go live my life for him every day. And he felt so near and so real and so present and so powerful. And then there's seasons where like, I don't even think about him for three weeks. It's not that I recanted my faith and didn't believe. It's just that that God that once felt so near all of a sudden felt so distant. And I I longed for that, but I guess I didn't know how to get it. And my faith just felt idle. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe um, your faith is real and it's there. It's just idle. And let me just say this. I believe God wants to break into both of those stories this morning. I believe there's some people here in that first camp that would say, no, I think it's an idle tale. I think there's some people here that would say, no, I believe, but my faith is just idle call me crazy. I believe Jesus is real and he's alive and he's in this room and he is still resurrecting dead things. And he might want to bring some things to life in your own heart this morning. Uh, let's go, go on in the story. I want to, I want to show you something else because see, the story doesn't just stop here at an idle tale. It actually goes on. And, 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 and so I want to show you something. I want to show you just the very next verse. It says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Okay, there's been a change here. See, first Peter thought it was an idle tale, and he was doubting, but now he's seen an empty tomb. And verse 12 says that he's marveling. He's marveling. So something changed in his heart. And what I want to just appreciate about Peter is at least he got up to check the thing out, right? Uh, At least he went to investigate what is all this hype about this Jesus and these crazy religious ladies. So he could have just stayed in the room and criticized and, and said they're crazy, you know, but he like actually gets up and breaks a sweat and runs to investigate um, things for himself. And as he, it looks at some evidence, it says that he goes from doubting to marveling. Something changed in his heart from doubt to marvel. And maybe that's where you're at. Now, quick point of clarification, this word marvel, it doesn't mean that he believed. It doesn't mean that he worshiped. It doesn't mean that he prayed the sinner's prayer and walked down the aisle and accepted Jesus into his heart. Um, The word marvel means to contemplate. It means to consider intently. It means to, to give some weight and thought to. And so what it means is that Peter's journey is not over here. Um, but the reality is it's no longer just an idle tale because he went and he saw some stuff and now he has to deal with what the heck he just saw. 
and he marvels. Let me take you into the scene really quick. Um, Verse 12 says that he got up and he ran to the tomb. The very first thing that Peter would have observed that he had to deal with and ponder and marvel at is the fact that the stone has been rolled away. Um, To date, more than 1,000 first century tombs have been excavated by archaeologists in and around the city of Jerusalem where Jesus would have been buried. And what they've observed in these more than 1,000 tombs is that the majority of them have a square or rectangular stone covering on the tomb. And and they're tapered inward towards the tomb. And so um, they would have been um, pushed up and and levered to seal the tomb. And they, like like a cork into a wine bottle, would have sealed it with pressure that way. But what they discovered was the richest of men actually had a round uh, tomb covering. They had a circular tomb door, and it was only the richest of men that would have had this, which makes sense because Jesus was a poor man, but you remember the gospel say that he wasn't in his own tomb. He's in a borrowed tomb, a tomb on loan to him from a dude named Joseph of Arimathea, and he was a wealthy member of the Sanhedrin, so it confirms that it would have been a round one. So when it says that it was rolled away, it was because it was a round one. And, and these round doors would have been a, a large stone, flat, cylindrical a plate that would have been set into a channel that would have physically gone down, sloped towards the tomb opening. And so it would have been very easy to seal the tomb with one of these rolling discs, but it would have been very difficult to unseal one of these tombs. And so Peter very simply runs to the tomb and he goes, oh, the door's off the hinges. Crap. I just said that in church. He might've said something else. He said, okay, this is not an idle tale. I've seen something, now I gotta deal with that. And it says that he marveled. And the verse, two, uh, verse 12 says that he went over and he stooped down. Archaeologists, as they've uncovered these tombs, the average height of a tomb in the first century around Jerusalem is uh, four and a half feet. So that would be like this. And so it makes sense that Peter would have had to stoop. And what he would have looked at across um, kind of a, a dug-in channel where the burial preppers would have stood would have been a bench where the body would have laid. And it was Jewish custom that the body would have been in the tomb for a period of one year, uh, wrapped in claws. After that year, after all of the soft tissue has been decomposed, the bones would have been collected respectfully put into a bone box or an ossuary and that would have been the final burial the end of the morning period of exactly one year and so Peter looks in he expects to see the body on the bench across from the opening but it says that all he sees are the burial cloths and there's nothing in them see Jesus would have been wrapped in upwards of 100 pounds of sticky spice filled and spice soaked burial cloths that would have gone around his body to uh, help the decaying process and the odor of that throughout that year but he looks in and the cloths are there but there is no body and now Peter goes oh shoot what do I do with that this idle tale and so maybe he's thinking in that moment, well, maybe someone stole the body, but one, how did they get past the Roman guards that would have been guarding it? Number two, how did they get the stone thing off? And number three, wouldn't they have just taken the whole body? Who in their right mind takes the time to unwrap a dead corpse that's been dead for three days? Wouldn't uh, a tomb raider have just taken the entire body and dealt with the linen cloths later? But here it is, open door, empty tomb, claws laying there. And it says that he marvels. He goes home going, what in the world did I just see? And I want to ask you, are you here this morning? Maybe you're marveling. Uh, Maybe you still think it's an idle tale. You think it's religious folklore. Okay, that's fine. I get it. But... But, but maybe like Peter, um, you have to contend the f- with the fact that, that now you've seen some stuff, right? Like just like the women said that, that they had heard the news and seen some things, there are some people alive today that still say that they've met this Jesus and you're marveling like who are these religious wingnuts, right? 
Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, some people are still religious and they still believe in idle tales and folklores. But you know what? As we get more advanced, more educated, more enlightened, I think the superstition of this thing called religion is going to wear off. But here's the interesting thing about that. In the last 100 years, the most productive years in terms of scientific advancements and enlightenment, um, the number of Christians in the world has actually gone from 600 million to 2.2 billion people today. The movement isn't dying, it's growing. And you might think about that, and you might marvel. Like, okay, I mean, it doesn't prove nothing, but it is weird, right? You marvel. It's probably an idle tale, but I at least got to deal with that. Maybe you've just seen the little city light story kind of unfold as a fan or a friend, or you've been here, a family member, and you've heard the stories, or you've witnessed the um, advancement of Jesus' ministry and mission, even in our own little city, in our own little church, where literally hundreds of people have claimed to have met Jesus in this room, been changed by Jesus, given their lives to Jesus, and now follow, love, serve, worship, abide in, give their lives to Jesus, and you at least have to go, who is this man, Right? And you marvel. Maybe you know perfectly reasonable, perfectly sane, respectable people that you even look up to or admire in some ways. And they claim to talk to Jesus, to hear from Jesus, to have been saved by and changed by Jesus. And see, for you, it's no longer just an idle tale, a story that you could just um, 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 forget and push to the wayside. But you actually have to contend with some of the things that you've seen even in your own lifetime. And you marvel. Who is this Jesus? What is it about him that has captivated my parents' hearts for so many years that's kept them praying for me? What is it about this Jesus that took my depressed friend and gave him hope? What is it about this Jesus that took my anxiety-stricken relative and, and all of a sudden gave him or her a sense of peace? And you look at the evidence and you marvel. And you're not ready to bow down and worship him as, as Lord, Savior, and Christ, but you at least are going, I'm here to check this out. And, and maybe you're here saying, um, you know, I, I'm just going to look into this. I'm going to seek this. If this Jesus is real, I'm going to seek him. And I want to let you know that's a very good place to be. God says in Jeremiah 29, you will seek me. And when you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Dangerous place to be, but it's a good place to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you're marveling. But guess what? The story doesn't end there. I want to show you one more scene. I, I, I want to show you one more segment. I want to show you one more piece of the puzzle, one more progression in Peter's story, and maybe one more progression in your own story that God has for you this morning. And so I want to go to the end of the chapter. I want to look at verses 36 to uh, 47, and it says this. And they were talking about these things, or as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Uh-oh. And said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. They thought they saw a ghost. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you got anything to eat? My favorite Bible verse. Someone's going to memorize that this week. Verse 42, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. I, I, it still gets me. I, I love this. First, they hear the news from the ladies, and they are in doubt that it's an idle tale. Then Peter actually goes and sees the open tomb, and then he goes from doubt to marveling. But now it says, Jesus himself stood among them. And what do they say? 
It's got to be a ghost. Certainly Jesus hasn't risen yet, right? And I love Jesus. He's like, touch me. Does a ghost have hands? Let's get some fish and chips. Call Long John Silvers. Get me a five piece. I'm going to show you. I'm alive. You guys, it's, it's me. Let's break bread. Let's dine. I'm alive. But verse 41 says they still disbelieved. And let me show you the key part of the story. Verse 44, it says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's all the Bible, the Old Testament. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. They've gone from an idle tale to an empty tomb to an opened mind. And they've gone from doubt to marveling to look at their response in verse 52. If you skip a few verses, it says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem from, with great joy. From doubt to marveling to worshiping. And the key ingredient, verse 45, says that Jesus opened their mind. Jesus himself had to break in and do something in their lives. That's the, the longer I do this thing, the longer I follow Jesus, tell people about Jesus, the more I realize um, how desperate we are for God to go ahead of us and open some minds and, and open some hearts. I heard this story for years, and it was an idle tale until Jesus opened my mind. And... Uh, I believe Jesus is still opening minds today. But let me, let me speak to the elephant in the room. I think this phrase, open mind, is kind of interesting, isn't it? And we hear that phrase a lot, but it's usually not in this context. I mean, we talk a lot about open-mindedness, and our culture says uh, that to be open-minded means that um, we need to accept all options for eternal life and heaven or non-eternal life or non-heaven or God or gods or goddesses or no gods or worshiping your cat as gods or your own inner God or your spirit or deity or your own sense of enlightenment or nirvana or karma or reincarnation or cessation or general vague spirituality is all being uh, perfectly acceptable and simultaneously reasonable and good viable options for everyone. And that's what our culture tells us is what it means to be open-minded. But it's interesting, Jesus says the opposite. He says, actually, the problem is we're not open-minded, we're closed-minded. He's saying before we believe in the resurrection and the good news of the gospel, the problem isn't that our minds are too open, it's that they're too closed. That for Peter, he was closed-minded when he was skeptical and resistant and, and, and pushing back against the resurrection and the good news of Jesus. His mind was closed because he's thinking too simply, too worldly, too physically. He's, he's, he's held up himself as the own divine source of, of truth and the ultimate judge of what is real. And if it doesn't make sense in his mind, then it can't be true. And Jesus says you're closed-minded. Verse 44, 5 says that Jesus opened his mind. He opened his mind and then he went from marveling to worshiping. He opened their mind to see that all of world history and all of the scripture points to the man Jesus Christ on this day of the resurrection. He opened their mind to see that Jesus did what he said he would be doing all along. He opened their minds to see their, their sin, their need for forgiveness, and to see their Savior in the person work of Jesus Christ. He opened their minds to see that he had overcome sin and death through his death and resurrection. Jesus opened their minds to see that he was alive physically, bodily, alive, where he still is. And he, he validated his claims to be Savior, Christ, Lord, God, King, creator of all of the universe. He verified it, he validated it, and he opened their minds. And City Light, call me crazy, I believe he's still opening minds today. Amen. I believe he's still opening minds today. 
And I want to ask you, I, I don't want to manipulate you. I'm not going to cue the dim lights and the fog machine and some, some pad on the keyboard. And, and I, I just want, honestly, with integrity, I want you to examine your own head and heart and just ask the question, Jesus, are you opening my mind to you right now? And I want you to have the faith and courage to, if he's opening your mind, would you let him this morning? Doesn't mean all of your questions need to get answered today, but I, I just believe that um, this says that he rose from the grave in AD 33, but it never says that he went back into the grave. See, he's still alive and he was ascended into heaven. Then he sent his Holy Spirit, his active agent in this world, and he is still opening minds. He opened my life in my mind, and maybe he's opening your mind even this morning. See, this, this, this Easter story that we're reading this morning, it is an historical story, but it's not only an historical story. It is a real present day story that he is still writing. He is still opening minds. He is still opening hearts. And what this means, this is very practical. This isn't just a, an ethereal, metaphysical, um, philosophical. This is a real tangible story that has very real, tangible implications in our lives. When the Bible says that if we believe in Jesus' resurrection, he too will raise us from the grave. What that means is that for the believer in Christ, death is not our finish line, but it's a graduation to glory. Amen? This has real and tangible um, consequences and, and realities for us. It means that Jesus is alive and we can know him. It means he's with us. He's available to us. He's available to live inside of us. Colossians 1 says that if you're in Christ, then he is in you and he lives inside of you and his power and his presence are in you. It means that you can be forgiven. Your eternity can be secure. You can walk through life knowing a loving, living God and he is with you and in you and he is near and he is able. This is what Jesus is still doing and so very boldly, I want to take a step of faith and shut down this plane, land this plane by making two invitations, two appeals to you this morning. I want to talk to the same two groups of people that I did at the very beginning. Number one, um, today, if you haven't surrendered your life to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I want to ask you, is Jesus opening your mind? Honestly, is there something in your mind where it's like a new light is coming in and suddenly Jesus is more attractive than he's ever been? Suddenly he's more believable and not all the doubt is gone, but... As you hear the word of God preach, something in your heart leaps out and says, yes, that's for me. If that's it, I just want to invite you to become a Christian today. What that means is you admit, I am a sinner who needed a savior substitute on the cross. I believe that he died and rose again for me, and I trust him to forgive my sins and give me new life. If God is moving in your life right now, would you not harden your heart? What we celebrated on Good Friday was the glad absorption of all of God's wrath and penalty towards sin even yours. What we celebrate right now on Easter Sunday is Jesus's triumphal victory over death, even yours. He wants to be victorious over your sin and over your life and give you resurrection life. If he's calling your voice, would you not harden your heart this morning? give you an opportunity to do that in just a second. But second, let me also talk to the folks in the room that you would say, man, I, I believe, but my faith is just idle. I don't want to convince you of anything. I, I I just believe that Jesus is real, and if you ask him, he'll reveal more of himself to you. I would just ask you, what if you cried out to God? God, would you open my mind? I believe in you, but I'm stuck in some situations and some circumstances, and would you meet me in it? I just want to encourage you, whatever you need, would you just ask God? Maybe there's some deficiencies in your life and some things that you're lacking that Jesus has available to you, and you don't have them because you're just not asking. And I'm not trying to say he wants to make you healthy and wealthy and wise and, and all of that stuff, but I am saying there are some resources available to the Christian if we really believe this stuff is true, that Jesus is alive and he is in you. And what I am saying is if you lack peace, he's got some peace. Yeah. I'm saying if you lack some joy, he's got some joy. 
I'm saying if you want some hope and you don't have any hope, he's freely giving out hope this morning. I want to say that if, if you just need grace to get out of bed tomorrow morning and put your pants on and do another day, Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the grave is now alive in you, bringing life to your mortal bodies. Would you believe that he's with you? Would you live this Easter with a new conscious awareness that Jesus is alive in you? I want to pray with you now if you would close your eyes and bow your heads. And uh, I want to invite you to be a Christian, even right now. I want to ask you if you came here today and you were doubting or you were marveling at this Jesus thing or you've heard about this church or a friend invited you. And is it possible that Jesus is opening your mind right now? Would you not shut him out? Is it possible that God brought you here today so you would hear this message, so that you would <laughs> hear this sermon, so that you would hear the text of, uh, of the Bible and your heart would come alive in him? And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you just to pray with me. And you don't need to uh, pray out loud. Uh, you can just do it in your heart. And this is not a magical prayer. It's just the expression of the faith that maybe Jesus is doing in your heart right now. And so, Father, if you're calling people to yourself, would you give them your grace and faith to pray this prayer along with me? Father, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again for me. I believe that you can forgive my sins, and I'm asking you right now to come into my life, that you would take the guilt and shame away from me, and that where there's death, you would bring life, that you would bring me into your family, that you would make me a Christian, that I would be born again, made new, and that I on that last day would be resurrected with you. Forgive me of my sins. Give me new eternal life. I believe you, Jesus. And now, God, for all of us in this room, Jesus, we want to say we believe that, that you're alive. We believe you're here. And I just want to apologize, God, for the times my heart is not even aware that you're in the room. But Jesus, as a church family, just everyone in this room, would you give us a new conscious awareness that you are here, even as I pray, even as we worship, that you are near, you are able, you are powerful, you are present, you are in our lives, you give us grace to save us, you give us grace to sustain us, you give us grace to empower us, to live a life of hope and love and joy and to honor you in all things. And so... Holy Spirit, would you flood our hearts this Easter to know that this story is true, this story is real, this story is powerful, and it has the power to change and transform our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.